Good morning. I want to invite everyone, uh, if you've got a copy of God's Word, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. As I'm very excited, we're beginning a new series for the next seven weeks until the week before Thanksgiving. We are going to be spending some time looking at one of the most important teachings I believe the Bible has to offer to us in light of everything else that it says. And you'll hear the Apostle Paul as he emphasizes that as we get into this passage. Before we begin, though, I have to tell you that uh, I... um, I am delighted to be here. This to, me is, this to me is just about the greatest privilege that you get to do is to bring the Word of God to, to folks. And so uh, if, if, I, if I get a little wound up and talk too fast, I already heard that I, two weeks ago I talked faster than Pastor Rusty. Uh, I, I talk louder than Pastor Rusty. Uh, well, I ain't Pastor Rusty, so there we go. We'll just get on. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, Robin and I and our grandchildren live out in Conway Springs, and I am a substitute teacher out there for the middle school and the high school. And the kids all know my favorite subject is American history. And, uh, well, because in their eyes, I've lived most of it. So when, when we get to talking about things that, you know, at least in the last 60 years, and we start talking about it, and I start waxing eloquent about something that happened, and uh, they, they look at me, and then they'll say, well, well, how do you know this? And when I tell them I was alive then, boy, I'm telling you, you don't have to go back past the last 60 years. They think you're like 300 years old. That's just the way that it, way that it goes. But I wanted this morning is a story in American history that I, I want to start with this morning, and it has to do with the War of 1812. And in the War of 1812, at the very end of the war, and one of the most famous battles in that war is the Battle of New Orleans, and that takes place in uh, January of 1815. And uh, Andrew Jackson led the troops down there, and they won a decisive victory. There were 2,071 lives that were lost in that battle. 71 of them were Americans. 2,000 of them were British. The problem is that on January the 8th, they were 15 days past the time when the treaty had been signed over in England. They just didn't know the war was over. So 2,071 souls lost their lives in a battle that need not have happened. Uh, they didn't have the Internet back then. They did, you know, it took a ship coming across from England to the United States to bring that news. So President James Madison did not know about the treaty or the battle that happened. When I think about those lives that were lost and I think about that particular scenario, it really reminds me of what we're going to talk about right now because the war that we're going to talk about for the next little bit uh, is so much more than what that battle might have been. And there have been countless numbers of lives that have been lost since Jesus Christ was crucified and the war was won see some of us are still living today like this war has not been won but in fact jesus christ was crucified dead and buried and raised from the dead on that third day and today sits at the right hand of the throne of god amen and the war is over but the battle rages on in revelation we hear these words and there was a war in heaven michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him and then i heard a loud voice in heaven say now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our god and the authority of his christ For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, 
has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. It's always been fascinating to me as a young kid growing up. You know, it came around to Halloween, which we're getting close to now. And uh, back then, if you dressed up as the devil, it was a cute little costume with pointy ears and a tail that had a point on it, a little pitchfork, and everybody loved it. Satan has done such a great job in the world today that now when we roll around to, we, that's why we have our safe trunk or treat celebration here because i guarantee you there is a lot of evil going on in the world there are a lot of people that are celebrating the devil in a way that you and i could not even imagine my 60 years ago because the war out there is a very real war i should say the battles because again i want to focus on the fact that the war itself is over and it's something that christians christ followers need to get into their minds the problem is, if you look back at it and know that Jesus Christ died on that cross and you know that he was resurrected and you know that he sits at the right hand of God, then why is it that today, how many marriages can you think of in your own sphere of relationships that have been lost since that victory at Calvary? How many children have been seduced into addiction, drugs, and alcohol? How many, how many men and women just through greed all the problems of this world that come in us have been lost and even eternally captured by the enemy that is supposed to be vanquished. This study, I believe, is one of the most important you'll ever hear, and yet many Christians hear about the full armor of God and they tuck it away as nice imagery. It's a lot like, oh, we love the story of Samson and his mighty strength and pushing on the columns and the temple coming down. We love to hear about David and Goliath and those, that small pebble taking down that giant. You know, we love, we love to hear that, Noah and the ark, and that all to us sometimes is just storylines. I will assure you that we have a very real enemy and there is a very real war continuing even though the victory has been won so today we're going to begin a look at what it means to do this battle today we're going to start looking at the clothing of a christ follower now yesterday my wife and i went clothes shopping because a week ago or two weeks ago after i stood up here and preached came down you think that you know you want your, you, you as a pastor you need all that positive feedback you know especially after it's been, how long has it been since i preached i come up here my wife says you know honey before you get up there the next time we are taking you clothes shopping i said what's the matter with my clothes you've been wearing that same pair of slacks that pleated baggy pair of slacks since you bought them in 1987 and we're not going to wear them anymore i hope when we're done and pray that you will be more concerned about rising up every day and preparing for the day not by determining the clothes that you're going to get out of your closet and you're going to wear but by the clothing that you wear when you get up and go to war in the morning we're going to talk about the armor of god beginning in ephesians chapter 6 in the 10th verse and we're not going to go very far this morning because this morning is called prepare for battle and before you ever do anything else you have to know what you're fighting and why you're fighting and the apostle paul says in verse 10 and 11 finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand 
against the devil's schemes. You know, I love the book of Ephesians, and I love all the doctrines that are in it, all the teachings that are in it. It's very interesting to me that after Paul teaches all that, he gets to this word, he says, finally, in conclusion. And what he's saying in the Greek word is, I've saved the most important piece of this letter for you right here until the end. So if you don't remember anything else that I've taught you or said to you, I want you to remember this right here. You think about the letter of Ephesians with all the doctrinal teachings in there. We can talk about the doctrine of election and predestination and adoption and redemption. We can talk about God's mercy and his grace. Paul writes all of that in his letters. The mysteries of the gospel, the eternal plan of God, the unity of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, the roles that we play in our family relationships between husbands and wives and children and grandparents. And finally, in all of that, Paul gets to this verse and he says, listen, finally, I want you to hear this piece right here because this is the most important part of this letter all everything else is extremely important but none of those other things matter if you don't remember this right here you've got to be strong in the lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against this enemy that has sworn he wants to take you out listen this church at ephesus that paul's writing to it was a great church it's you know not probably as good as crossroad but it was a great it was a great church the apostle paul founded this church he stayed in ephesus for three years there establishing the leadership and then he commissioned young timothy to be the pastor there the apostle john was a bishop a member of the church and later the bishop over all of the churches there in ephesus in the area mary the mother of jesus is a member of this church in ephesus this is her church how do you like that as a you know well recruitment tool <laughs> you know pastors would never do that i don't want you to get the idea we'd ever do that but if i could walk around and say hey uh, <clears throat> you know i don't know if you're aware of this or not but uh, jesus's mother sits over the second row at our church <laughs> not that i would use that i'm just saying you know just think about it for a minute what would that be like it was filled with spiritual giants and people who are being taught the very best stuff about the plan of god and yet the apostle paul still it was extremely important to say to them this is what i want you to most understand right here and look at how paul talks about the relationships even in these words every word in the bible every dot and every tittle matters so much that we understand it that's why we try to go back and break down some of these things from the greek and the hebrew so that we might have a, a fuller understanding of what he's saying he says in the in the original text in the greek he says in conclusion my brothers now that's left out of most of your translations today but he used to say in conclusion my brothers and that's very specific about how paul felt about you and i in the church and the relationships that we had together alexander the great who died at the age of 33 began leading the armies when he was of greece when he was only 18 years old and by the time he dies at the age of 33 he's conquered the known worlds and he coined this term about brothers right here when he would have a soldier that had performed valiantly in the battlefield his best way and the most way the most important way and significant way that he could get recognition to that soldier is he would pull them up on the platform with him in front of all of the peoples and he'd throw his arms around him and say this is my brother this is my brother and this is what paul is saying about all of us 
He's saying we are brothers in arms. We are fellow soldiers in a war. See, we, we've got the idea now in all these years and all the teachings of the last maybe 40, 50 years where we look at Abba, Father, Daddy. We get, we get kind of rosy in our language. We think about the church being all this wonderful thing, but we forget that they have an enemy out there who truly wants to seek, kill, and destroy the people of God. So it's incumbent upon us to be aware as we go through this season right now, as the search committee begins their work, as we're in this gap period where you got some old duffer up here trying to talk to you instead of a real guy that we'll get in a little while, it's easy for Satan to do his thing. It's easy for the doubts to creep in. And every week that goes by, we're so impatient, we want such instant gratification right now as the search committee meeting, have they done their thing? Are we interviewing people? When are they gonna get them here? That's because of how fast the world works. But that's not the way that this is going to play out. And we've got to be sure that we follow our process. We need to understand what it is that the devil would do during this time. He says, finally, my brothers in arms, my fellow soldiers, who with whom I would fight and I would die. He says, be strong. Command language. He doesn't suggest that you be strong. He doesn't hint that you might gird up and be ready. He says in that imperative language, be strong, be infused, if you want the expanded Greek translation, be infused with an extra dose of dynamic inner strength and ability. Receive a supernatural, strengthening, internal deposit of power into your inner man. Listen to that. Paul's saying, get ready, y'all. And most of us get up and ignore the spiritual world. And I'm not getting all charismatic on you. Don't worry about that. This is real. This goes on around us all of the time. And sometimes we want to stick our head in the sand like the ostrich and pretend that Satan really doesn't exist except as that cartoon character. I can promise you during this time that he's going to come at us. We're vulnerable. We're in a a transition period. So we want to be sure that we're ready to, to stand before him without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, without the power that he's talking about, God's mighty power. We are not going to be a match for what Satan would throw at us. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong where? In the Lord. It's locative language. If you try to handle this any other way, if you think that you've got enough uh, intestinal fortitude to do battle with the devil, if you think that you've got enough personality, if you think that you've got enough wealth, if you think that you've got enough privilege that he's not going to come after you, you you better strap on because he's fixing to come at you. And he loves to work inside of the flock. The church is never going to be destroyed from the outside. It's from inside that things can get dicey once in a while. In Ephesians 1, Paul had told them earlier in the letter, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is what you hear those preachers get after and say, this is resurrection power. It's the power that God exerted in bringing Jesus Christ out of that tomb and raising him up to heaven. And he says, that power is available to us. Most of us probably really don't understand that. And we still try to operate in our own strength. He says, put on the whole armor, which is what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. If you go back to Paul's church letter to the church at Thessalonica, the first Thessalonians, in that he, he writes about two pieces. He says, let us live in the light. Let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing our helmet, the confidence of our salvation. But by the time he writes to the church, from that time until he is in Ephesus, he, he is in prison 10 years of that time frame. And in that 10 years, he is chained 24 hours a day to Roman guards. Every six hours, they change shifts. So he is every day looking at these soldiers coming and going, and he becomes more and more familiar with what they wear and what their gear is truly for and how they care for it, how they maintain it, and whether or not it's an offensive weapon or if it's a defensive weapon or what it is. So by the time he writes to us now to the church at Ephesus, He's going to give the full armor of God and his exhortation to us, his encouragement to us, his pleading with us is that we will put on the full armor of God. Take your stand, he says. Take your stand. It means you will come face to face with the enemy. It's, it's like when we get to over there to James when he says consider it full joy when you face trials of many kinds. He says take your stand because he will attack you and you must be prepared for battle where's the battle going to take place the battle's in your mind the battle is in your mind and you're going to meet your enemy face to face on that battleground paul wrote about it in his church letter to the church at rome what did he say in romans 12 do not conform any longer to the pattern in this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind have it renovated have it remodeled have it completely changed over so you're not thinking the way the rest of the world thinks but you're thinking the way that the holy spirit of god would have you think when he brings that quickened word back to you because you spent time preparing to meet your enemy we fight against the devil's schemes his methods his devices his deceptions so many succumb to depression doubt fear timidity and yet, in every one of his writings, Paul encourages us, that's not the way that we are to live the victorious Christian life. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the slave market of sin. That is not where we live. Before he came, man had been transferred from the hands of God into the hands of a new owner, Satan himself. You might say, I didn't do anything wrong. I was born in this world. Yes, you were, but you were born with an old sin nature that you could not get rid of or do anything about. Satan was your master. The devil's property is what we're called in Scripture. And a price had to be paid to get us out of that, just like the ancient slave markets. And you and I could not pay that price, but we know that Jesus Christ paid that price with the sinless life that he lived and by taking on all of, all of our sin with his spiritual death on the cross. Satan isn't buying it. He's never, he's always, who, who is he? Lucifer, the bright and morning star. This guy was the most beautiful of all of the angels. I mean, he was the head of all of them. But what was it that he wanted? He wanted to be as God. 
That's still our problem today. And he's been selling us that lie ever since he handed that apple to Eve in the garden. That all of us would like to be as God, masters of our own destiny, captains of our own ship, making our own way, making our own decision. It is hard for man to submit himself to any leadership. And yet that's exactly what we are called on to do because this enemy is coming after us. First Peter tells us, be self-controlled and alert. Be alert. Your enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Not someone to make nice with. Someone to devour. And it says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. In Romans 8, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us but we still come under attack an assault on the body is not unusual an attack on your finances is not unusual even a strike against the church is not much of an oddity anymore he works to thwart the plans of god in any way that he can he's described in the bible as i said as this wonderful bright being and i'm sure that when god created him and he was there it was all well and good of course god knew it was going to happen satan did not and then jesus came after satan falls and after we lose our condition and are excluded from the garden and all that jesus christ comes to restore what we lost he pays the price in the garden and the cross of calvary and we are restored and we've been given authority and victory to fight the battle that we're in right now if we're just aware and we're paying attention to what's happening around us. Sometimes it's easy to feel like God is absent from the battle. Sometimes, especially if we, if we isolate ourselves, what happens when we get into a crisis situation? The first thing psychologists will tell us is that we withdraw. Instead of embracing the church family, if you're in a small group and you know, you're, you're involved with people at church, the first thing that happens sometimes when we, get into a, when we get into a bad situation, we want to withdraw, we want to isolate, we want to hide our problems from everybody instead of running forward to our brothers in arms, our brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, hey, listen, I have this thing going on. Would you pray with me? Would you encircle me? Would you be with me? Would you walk with me? Would you help me? We try to do it on our own. And Satan goes by many names. He's a discourager. He's the doubter. He's the thief in the night. He's the tempter. He's the prince of this world. And he comes after our souls. The good news again, I want to come back to this. We're going to stress it throughout this entire seven weeks. In Isaiah, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, Scripture says, to the depths of the pit. And you know what we do as, a, as human beings, what we do, our tendency is to look at that. We listen to all that. Oh, look at him. I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'll be enthroned on the mountain. I'll do all these things. We would never be like that, would we? Unfortunately, when we place our idols in front of Jesus Christ, when we place our will 
at the center of our being rather than chasing after the things of God. We have just acted no differently than Lucifer did all that time ago. We live in a world that pushes so hard for us to be self. Self-willed, self-determined, self-promoting. That self would be on the center of our thrones. We need to remember that Satan was brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. His purpose, as he stands in opposition to God, is to destroy the works of God. That's why churches come under attack all the time. He wants to destroy the work of God to oppose everything that's good and godly in this world. He's an enemy of every Christian. And he is strong. And he is subtle. And he is sinister. But praise be to God, the plans of God have always been greater than the plans of our enemy. So let me read this passage. And we're going to be, over the next seven weeks, taking each each piece of this armor because again we read it and we think well that's a nice story and it's a nice imagery and i you know it ha- sometimes in churches especially at the trunk retreat time you'll see little kid little kids come in wearing all the armor of god but do they have a clue and do their parents have a clue other than it's playing soldier it's dressing up this is not dressing up what we're doing here finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore because of that situation therefore put on the full armor of god so that when not if when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firmly three times right there inside of a sentence and a half stand 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 we are not to wilt in the face of this enemy we are not to back off in the face of this enemy we are not to crumble when things do not go well we are to stand when we've done everything else stand and stand firm then with what the belt of truth buckled around your waist and you will see next week every other piece of armor every other piece of armor is attached to the belt of truth in the roman soldiers arsenal you'll see it but the the shield had a clip on that belt and that's where the shield hung The sword had a scabbard on that belt, and that's where it went. The breastplate, everything that was there hinged on the belt of truth that we're going to talk about next week. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Pastor Lyle is going to bring us the word on the gospel of peace in a few weeks. In addition to all of this, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. Be alert. And always keep on praying for all of the saints. So he says, strap on this armor and be prepared for battle. And you know what? That's got to be done in advance of the test. That's got to be done. You cannot stand in the middle of the battlefield with the war raging around you and be trying to put on the sandals. You, you can't be, and when, once the enemy comes at you, how easy is it to try and get your belt up, gird your loins, get your sword? No, the enemy, if you haven't prepared, you're easy prey. You're easy prey. Christ has won the war, but he wants us to share in that victory. We share in his sufferings, but we should also be sharing in his victory. He gives us in Ephesians 4 a little bit of a preface to all of this about what our mindset should be. So as we get ready for the next few weeks, I want you to hear these words. Now your attitudes and thoughts must be constantly changing for the better. Now think about that for a minute. Anybody that has a 12 or 13 year old just about teenager, teenager in their house will undoubtedly, undoubtedly come to the place where they know that that youngster needs an attitude adjustment. And all of us would love to read this to them right here. Listen, your attitudes and thoughts must be constantly changing for the better. Too many of us let our thoughts and our attitudes be changing for the worse. We get caught up in all the garbage out there. We get caught up in everything bad and negative that's going on around us. And we let that sway us rather than the word of God and being ready for battle when he comes at us. Yes, he says, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. How many of y'all feeling holy and good this morning? On my own, ain't going to happen. But when I remember that when I'm living in Jesus Christ, when I'm, when I'm living my life fully aware of his Holy Spirit's presence and seeking the leading of that Spirit in every decision and in everything that I do, you know what? I can be that holy and good person only through his power and not with mine. He says, clothe yourself with this new nature. Stop lying to each other. He's talking to his church, y'all. <laughs> Tell the truth, for we are parts of each other, and when we lie to each other, we are hurting ourselves. If you're angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Reel your toes in real quick here. It's getting real. <laughs> you know, just back them up. If you've got steel-toed work boots on, you're in good shape. But I'm telling you, this is when the apostle's getting after us. He says, if you're angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down on you with you still angry. Get over it quickly. Now, I'm going to have to talk to my bride about that after I threw under the bus about the clothing. So, you know, we're going to have to go to bed tonight and make sure that we're not angry here. Honey, you watching right now? I know you are. Okay. <laughs> She'll be here in just a little while. <laughs> so I'm backstroking as hard as I can. Don't let the sun go down on you. Get over it quickly. For when you're angry, you give what? A mighty foothold to the devil. 
all the anger management seminars in the world aren't as good as what the word of god is amen so he says don't let the sun go on down on you in that anger don't give a mighty foothold to the devil if anyone is stealing he must stop it and begin using those hands of his for honest work so that he can give to others in need don't use bad language right row say only what is good and helpful to those you are talking to and what will give them a blessing now second service when my teenage grandchildren are here i can promise you at the library the other day over in conway springs it was fall festival we had to use book sale we were loading books out into the car I had backed the car up to the curb, and I wasn't thinking about it, but there was an incline downwards to that curb, and I backed that car up there. I lifted up the back hatch of that trunk. I walked in, got a big old box of books, and I came back out. I was carrying two because I was pretty, feeling pretty you know, strong in the Lord. And I started forward to reach that in, and next thing I found myself flat on the ground because that hatch was right there. And the word that come out of my mouth was not edifying. And I'm just now, you know, reading the scripture here. <laughs> Don't use bad language. Say only what is good and helpful to those you are talking to and what will give them a blessing. Don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way you live. You ever think about that? We're so good at telling our little ones. Now, don't remember as they head off to school, they head off on that date or whatever. Don't forget, God goes with you. We don't think about it for ourselves. Every moment of every day, God his holy spirit residing in me don't cause the holy spirit sorrow by the way you live remember he's the one that who marks you to be present on that day when salvation from sin will be complete stop being mean bad-tempered and angry quarreling harsh words and dislike of others should have no place in your lives instead be kind to each other tender-hearted forgiving one another just as god has forgiven you because you belong to christ he says prepare yourselves as we get ready to look at these pieces there's one quote from the message that i love about this subject because it speaks directly to us about it gene peterson said this is no afternoon athletic contest that we will walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours this is for keeps a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels so today we prepare for battle i hope you'll join us over this series these next several weeks because the battle is real the enemy is real but i know that i have read the back of this book and we have the victory amen would you pray with me lord we thank you for your word we thank you for the apostle paul all of those that contributed and wrote lord but i'm i'm very partial to paul i love his mindset lord and i pray that for all of us this morning uh, that we would in our own hearts and minds consider all of what we've heard this morning and, and lord especially as we get ready even to think about in ephesians 4 all of those instructions that we were just given that they're not just words on a piece of paper for us to consider and to walk away from lord but that instead we would think about our day, the rest of this day, even right now, Lord, because in your redemptive power and the power of your blood, anybody that would be sitting here this morning, Lord, that would have those doubts, would have those fears, would be consumed with that anger, would have acted jealously, could be stealing, whatever it might be, your grace is sufficient, Lord. 
So as we prepare to sing, Lord, just open up our altar down here. We'll be down here to pray with anyone that would want to come forward, Lord. Not to make a public spectacle of themselves, Lord, but just to come before you. Sometimes we just have to hum humble ourselves and say, Lord, I've been in a mess. The enemy's had a foothold in my life. And I no longer wish to live that way. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We pray everything in the strong and powerful and holy, majestic name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said,